Well, I know the music this morning has really, really touched our hearts and prepared our hearts to hear from God's Word. And uh, I want to share with you this morning uh, several thoughts I've had just uh, thinking about our church this week. And people ask me about what's going on at your church and tell them God is up to something very special right now at our church. And I'm seeing it from the perspective of, I believe we're growing together. I'm talking to people during the week and talking to them on the weekends here at church and they're saying, you know, I saw this this week in my Bible, or God told me this last week in my Sunday school lesson, or, you know, I learned this thing as I was serving alongside some other folks and helping somebody. And uh, so I've told people, you know, they're a little bit smaller in size, but you know what, a perfect opportunity for you and I to grow together and to allow God just to mold and shape us into the church he'd have us to be. And I'm seeing all kinds of great things happening, just like this choir here. Isn't that exciting to see that many people up there? And praise God for those young people, too, being part of that and serving the Lord with the gifts that God has obviously given to them. But as we have studied the book of Genesis, we've talked about the fact that uh, we can see the theology and the foundation for the whole Bible here as we look at the book of Genesis. And it's going to be the same thing today here. And uh, we're going to look at Genesis 8. We'll get there in just a second. But uh, I want you to know that as we look at Genesis, we realize that from the very beginning, God had a plan for you. From the very beginning, he has set you apart. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, and he has a plan for your life. And Amy did a nice little introduction to our message here today, the fact that God desires for you and I to be used by him. He has set us apart for such a time as this. And as we look at the scripture today, we're talking about new beginnings, that God is a God of new beginnings, of second chances. And in your pastor's case, I'm glad that he is a God of a hundred chances and a thousand chances here. But God never gives up on us, never leaves us, nor forsakes us. I read a story about an elderly gentleman that had been a carpenter his whole life. Worked for the same man his whole life, too. And this man was an incredibly gifted carpenter. One day he kind of felt like it was probably time to give up carpentry and just to take some time and retire and relax and spend time with his family and his friends and just enjoy life a little bit without having to work because he kind of set some money apart and he knew he'd have to be kind of tight on his finances. But he went to his boss and said, uh, hey, I need to, I'm going to retire here. And the boss said, well, I'm sorry to see you go. And you've done such a phenomenal job for me all these years. I, I just thank you so much for serving here. And I said, I, I got one more favor to ask you. You know, would you mind building me one more house? Well, the man contemplated for a few moments, and he said, well, okay, I'll do that. Well, the man began building that new house and had all the materials de- delivered there. And uh, his boss was coming by once in a while, seeing it. But this man had kind of just lost the heart for the work. He, just, he was just tired. He kind of really didn't feel like putting that much time into it. And so he, he cut some edges and, you know, he, he didn't really uh, use the normal excellent level of workmanship. He kind of got a little shoddy in the workmanship. And he finally finished the house and it wasn't one of his best products. This guy had built beautiful homes through his lifetime. And uh, so well, the owner came out, the, the boss came out and said, hey, well, let's kind of walk through it here, check it out for a minute. And after they walked through the thing, the boss turned to this elderly carpenter that was getting ready to retire and pulled the keys out of his pocket and handed the keys to this man. He said, I want you to have this house as a gift from me. Well, the man took it, but there was a great regret there on this man's behalf. He realized that I didn't do my best workmanship on this house. Maybe if I would known that I was building a house for myself, I might have had a little different attitude about this. But I really didn't do my best job. He didn't tell his boss that, but he took the keys and took the house, and so... He had some regrets. He had to live down this house that was not built as well as what he could have done. 
You know, if you ponder this little story for a second, it's kind of like this with us as well. We have this incredible life we can live for the glory of God, and yet sometimes because of distractions, because of inconveniences, sometimes because of busyness, because of all kinds of different reasons, we don't invest ourselves in the greatest way in what we have in the Lord here. And so we end up living far off from where God would have us to live. We live and miss the best that God has for us because we just don't give it our best effort. And it's sad over the years as a pastor I've seen this and how sad it is and sometimes we just don't turn in our best performance for the Lord. We don't do the things that God would really have us do in an excellent way. Your pastor would advocate, and I fall short too, but I would advocate of all the things we can invest time in, why not give our best and be excellent in the things of the Lord and truly give our best. God has this incredible life for us. He tells us in... in uh, in, in, in um, Ezekiel 36, 11, he says that it's going to be better than in the beginning. He told that to the Israelites. They were struggling a little bit, but he kept telling them, he wanted to encourage them, I'm going to make it better than it was in the beginning. That's the same way in our Christian walk. God wants us to enlarge our, 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 our territory, but he also wants us to grow in grace with him. He wants us to grow in our relationship with him. The greatest thing that any of us can do is have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet so many times we just don't give our best performance in that area. Why? Well, we've got an enemy working against us doesn't want us to give our best performance, first of all. But there's all kinds of things in life. You know, we can get very, very busy sometimes in life. And I've told people before, a lot of times we've got to pull the roses out of the garden as well as the weeds. We need to seek the best in this life. And the best starts with Jesus Christ. Psalms 127 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. The question for you and I as we think about this today, who's building our house? Is God building our house? Is God building our life? You know, I love the fact that if you study the Bible very thoroughly, many theologians would come up with the, the thought that, and, and the, their, their fact that the, their perspective would be that there's more than 30,000 promises in the Holy Bible. 30,000 promises. Think about some of those. Jesus Christ himself said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. God said, I will supply all your needs according to my riches through Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Nothing is impossible with God. Just think about all the promises we have in God's holy word. As we think about all those promises, am I truly living on those promises? Do I understand those promises in my life? Do I understand what God has in store for me? Do I seek God every day and surrender my life once, once and over and over for the Holy God? We're looking at Genesis 8 today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to the first verse of Genesis 8. You know, as we look for encouragement in this world, and we want to send, maybe help somebody else that's getting ready to jump off the cliff or somebody else for this encouragement, a lot of times we wouldn't go to Genesis 8 for encouragement. A lot of times we might go to Romans 8 or something like that. There's all kinds of other scriptures we can go to and give people encouragement, but I want you to know this morning that God gives us incredible encouragement here about a new beginning as we look at Genesis 8. Stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect for the reading of God's holy word. Genesis 8, verse 1. Then God, remembering Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water decreased. 
Then the ark rested in the seventh month, in the seventeenth day of that month, on the mountains of Ararat. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word today. Father, I pray today, Lord, that we would understand truly, Father, that you are a God of new beginnings, Father. And I'm not sure where everybody in this room is at right now in their walk with you, Father, but I know that there's people in this room that are struggling, Father. I know some people in this room that are carrying some burdens. Father, I know some folks in this room that are struggling with some health issues, and Father, trying to figure life out right now. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you'd speak to each one of us, Father, beginning with the pastor here today, about a new life in you. Father, that we can walk in victory day by day with you. Father, we thank you for all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 1, it says, Then God remembered Noah. You know, Noah had been on that ark almost a year now. You know, there's no evidence that God talked to Noah while he was in that ark. He may have, may not have. But you know, after about a year in that ark, being cooped up in that ark and not being able to even see out, really, I imagine they were kind of curious about what was next. You know, a lot of times we go through storms in this life. A lot of times we're struggling with things and we're just trying to figure out, has God forgotten me? Where is God? When is this storm going to end? I've been there before. I'm sure you have as well. We go through these hard times sometimes and there's always a purpose for these things. But in Joshua 1, God tells Joshua, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. He repeats that throughout the Bible. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. No matter what we're going through, God is walking with us. Many times he feels far away because we can't hear from him. Many times he's far away because we don't understand what's going on. The word remember here in Genesis 8 doesn't mean it's to recall something that God forgot. He didn't forget anything. What it really means here is that God's now paying attention to it. He's saying, I'm remember, I want you to remember this. I'm remembering this right now. I'm going to do this in your life. He's going to fulfill a promise when he says, I remember. Remember God remembered Abraham saved Lot. The Lord remembered Rachel and Hannah and enabled both of them to conceive and have baby boys. The Lord remembered a covenant with the Jews and led the Israelites out of bondage from Egypt. God remembered Noah. I want you to know this morning that God is never surprised about what's going on in life. How did this happen? What's going on here in my life? How am I going to get through this? God's right there with you. Romans 8.28 says this. You know this scripture. He says, we know that all things work together for those that love God and are called according to his purposes. We know that all things work together. God's saying right there to you and I, hey, everything that's going on, I'm going I'm to make something good of it. I'm going to work it together for your benefit. I'm going to work it out in such a way as you're going to grow through this time. It may be painful. You know what Paul said after, after he prayed to God that, hey, remove this thorn from my flesh. God, please take this thorn from my flesh. Three times he said that. And Jesus Christ answered back and said, My grace is sufficient for you. He also said that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Think about that for a second. I love it where Paul went with that, and you've heard this before. Paul said, I'd rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The whole idea here is going through the storms right many times. God's up to something even more special than normal. We're going to learn things on the battlefield that we'll never learn anywhere else. We're going to learn things in the hard times we'll never learn anywhere else. I don't minimize hard times, and I've been with many of you in the hospital or been going through hard times before, and they're hard times, no doubt about it. Many times we get to a position in our life, though, where it's such a hard time, we realize the only thing that can fix me now or help me now is God. I've seen that, and you've seen that before, too. Even the doctors say, we don't know what we can do. God does. God is in control. God is never going to leave us nor forsake us, and God's going to work all things together for those that that love Him and are called according to His purposes. I want you to know this morning as we think about problems for just a second here, 
Most of our problems are not circumstantial. It's not a matter of circumstances. It's about our perspective. It's about our perceptual intonation. Am I looking at my problem or am I looking at God? We can get fixated on the problems in our life and they can overwhelm us. And sometimes the problems are so big, they do. It's, it's all consuming. I can't stop thinking about this. I can't stop worrying about this, all these things. But the moment that you take your focus off your problem and put your focus on God Almighty, you know what happened? The problem shrinks. The biggest problem we have is an inadequate understanding of God. Not understanding who is. As we grow as a body of believers here, I want us to grow in the perspective of our, the size of our God and realize we have a great and mighty God in heaven. That we have a God that's capable of all things. Remember when the 12 spies went into the promised land there? They were spying out the land before the nation of Israel moved into the promised land. Well, 12 of them came back and only two of them said, let's go, let's go. Ten of them were all worried about the size of the cities, the fortified positions there, and the size of the people. You should have seen how big those giants were. There's no way we should go. No way we should go there. They even said, you know what? Compared to those giants over there, we're like grasshoppers. Well, there was a problem there with those ten spies. They had a wrong perception about God. From God's perspective, those giants were grasshoppers because of God. When we focus on our problems, you know what happens? We minimize the size of our God. We don't realize that we got a great God in heaven that wants to do something marvelous in our life. Our God is so much bigger than all these problems. Our problems are not big to God. They may be big to us, and they are big problems. But to God, he said, I got this. I got this. Hold on. Next time we have a problem, next time we come to a place in our life when we're kind of terrorized by the problem, we need to stop for a second and say, God, I'm giving this to you. But God, show me what you want me to learn in this situation. Show me what you want me to change in this situation. God remembered Noah. You know what? God remembers you and I as well. Look at verse 4 for just a second. It said, Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. The ark rested. You know what Noah's name means in Hebrew? It means rest. In Genesis 5, Lamech, who was Noah's father, said, I hope that my son will bring rest to this weary world. Rest, is, rest just kind of finds itself resonating throughout the scripture here in Noah. That God sent Noah here to show us that we need to rest in the Lord. Psalms 37, verse 7 says this, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. How about Isaiah 40, 31? Wait upon the Lord and you shall renew your strength. You shall mount up with wings like eagles. You shall walk, you shall run and not grow weary. You shall walk and not faint. God tells us to wait. God tells us just rest. Rest in Him and have patience. You know why God blessed Noah? I believe with all my heart one of the biggest reasons was because he had faith. He waited on the Lord. Remember the story of Noah here? He spent 100 years building that ark. Are you kidding me? That same period of time he was preaching God's righteousness. Then when he finally loaded up the ark with all the animals, had his family on board, God says, wait seven more days. Okay, wait seven more days. Then the ark rested. They'd been on that ark more than a year. After that ark rested on Mount Ararat, they waited 40 more days. And then Noah sent out a raven. The raven was gone for seven days, came back. Then he sent out a dove. The dove was gone for seven days, came back. Then he sent out another dove, gone for seven days. When he came back, he though he had a little sprig from an olive branch there. So he realized that he'd found land someplace and found that olive branch. 
Finally, he sent out another dove, and the dove did not come back. He realized that dove found a new home. So at that time, Noah finally opened the hatch on the top of the ark, made a door on the top of the ark, walked out to look around. He could say dry land. But you know what? Noah still didn't get off that ark. Noah waited on God 29 more days, it says. He didn't make a move until God told him to move. You know, a lot of times we get impatient. A lot of times we have a hard time waiting. Had a friend that prayed for a man in prison for 26 years. They'd come to know the Lord. Visited him at least two or three times a month. Prayed for him all the time. Was faithful in seeing this man in jail. Loved this guy. He's going to be in jail most of his life. After 29 years, this man finally prayed to receive Christ. Wait on the Lord. Trust the Lord. I've seen wives in this church pray for their husbands. I've seen moms pray for their children. Pray for years that their husband or loved one or their child would come to know the Lord. Just trusting God. Waiting. Waiting and trusting God. I'm here to tell you this morning that one of the greatest demonstrations of faith we can ever have is to wait. You know what happens when we wait? It grows our faith. But it also realizes I'm not focused anymore on my circumstance. I'm focused on God. I'm just trusting Him. I'm completely focused. I'm praying day in and day out. I'm praying with fervency. I'm praying always for these things in my life. You know, in the Far East, you'll find a Chinese bamboo tree growing. That's where they grow. I don't know if you know how these things grow, but uh, when you plant that tree, you need to water and fertilize it for almost five years. And there's no sign of that thing growing for five years, but you just need to be faithful and water that and fertilize that for five years. For five years, no sign, and all of a sudden you see little sprigs start coming to the ground. After that tree finally breaks the soil, within five weeks, that tree will be 90 feet tall. Five years before you see the first spring, five weeks before you see 90 feet in the air, that bamboo shoot. Question for us this morning. How long did it take to grow that tree? Five weeks or five years? Well, you know it's five years. Because if you stop watering that plant, if you stop fertilizing that plant, you know what? It's going to die. It'll never grow. It took five years to get that plant to grow. How long have we been waiting on something? Have we stopped because we saw no sign? Have we stopped because we just don't see the results we're looking for? We need to keep watering that tree. We need to keep applying our faith and patience and trust God. You know, when we see our faith come to fruition, it, it, it's a phenomenal payoff. God, thank you for doing this. You know, I, I've seen it so many times. A lot of times it's like one of those old movies where you see uh, the wagon train being attacked by the Indians, and right before the demise of the wagon train, all of a sudden over the hill you hear the trumpet, and here comes the cavalry coming right at the last minute. God kind of likes to make entrances like that sometimes too. He trusts us to trust him. But he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Verse 15 and 16, further on in Genesis 8 there, says, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Noah had prepared this ark to save his family. God was faithful to save his family, to save his household. Think about this, that Noah experienced the ultimate near-death experience. How easily, because he was a sinner too, he could have been left behind as well. God could have destroyed everything. 
But because of Noah's faith, God spared Noah. Noah stepped out when God told him to into a brand new world. Not the same old world. He was a brand new creation. Verse 17, just following what we just read there, it says to be fruitful and multiply. And it is saying that God told the same thing to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. Be fruitful and multiply two times. Second Peter 3.6 tells us that at the beginning, the world was destroyed after the flood. By the flood. This is a brand new world. Noah and his family were stepping out in a brand new world. We're going to talk about it in the next couple of weeks here about the whole change, the earth here, what happened in that flood. How it defines a little bit about people's confusion today about how old our earth is. The flood changed the world, changed everything. It was a brand new world and Noah stepped out into it. It's interesting here too that we see salvation in the ark, but we also see the new life that God gave Noah and his family as they stepped out of that ark, just like God gives us new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He could be talking about Noah here. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he's a new creation. Noah had a new creation. All things that were old are gone. Brand new earth here. God's given us a beautiful picture of salvation here. I want you to know this morning that we're not sitting here by accident together. God had a divine purpose for you being here today. God has a brand new beginning for each and every one of us. Many of us in the room have experienced it when we became Christ followers. When we gave our life to Jesus Christ and said, God, I want to give my life to you. I no longer want to lead it in the old way. I want to walk in the new way with you. God, I want this relationship with you. But maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling like, even though I have Jesus Christ, my life is kind of like a shipwreck right now. Things are going in the wrong direction. Things aren't going the way that I hoped they'd go. I'm not where I intended to be at this point in my life. I see that so many times and men that get a little bit up in age there and trying to figure out life and they call it the midlife crisis. But, you know, I was not expecting my life to be like this at this age. And too many times we take the wrong turns. We begin looking for significance and sufficiency and security and all the wrong things. We turn to the world for those things and God is the only person that can supply those things. Maybe we've had a life where we feel like you know, this, God just keeps closing the doors. My life is just one closed door after another. I never see anything come to fruition. Maybe we've had a life kind of filled with plans failing. You know, we've had all these plans in my life and they continue failing. God often uses these things that take us off course to put us back onto the course. Now I'm living testimony of that. I had a plan for my life, but it wasn't God's plan. God allowed that plan to crash and burn... And God put me on a different course, and I'm thankful for that today. Maybe you're here today like that as well. Maybe right now, today, you're in the midst of that storm right now. Maybe you feel like I'm going through a torrential storm. And I don't know what's going to happen at the end. I'm curious about all these things. But I want you to realize that God is all about divine detours. Many times, the bad things in our life turn out to be the best things. Over and over, I've seen God take the miserable yesterdays and turn them into magnificent tomorrows. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. God has this new life that he wants us to live. Too many times people have this new life, but they don't appropriate it. They don't take advantage of it. They don't live it. I want to keep going in the past and dragging the past up. 
follow up here. I'm here to tell you that the past can consume us. The past can destroy our life. We can hold on to the past to the point where we get to the end of our life and realize I never really had a right life or a living life or a new life that God gave me because I kept holding on to my past. God's telling you and I to drop the past. Jesus Christ came to take that burden off our shoulders, to set the captives free, to open up the bars of the jail. God has this incredible life for you and I. We need to realize that even in the midst of our storms that God is up to something. God is up to something very special. Do I truly believe that? Do I truly want that life of new beginnings? Do I want to live in the light of Jesus Christ? I had a situation with my oldest daughter when she was going through high school. Dad had to kind of put down the hammer a little bit and wasn't going to let her go in the direction she wanted to go. And it was about six months' struggle. It really, I thought it was destroying the relationship with my daughter. I didn't know how long it was going to go on, but it was going on pretty bad. My daughter is a precious, tender-hearted, gentle person. I wasn't mean-spirited about it, but I was just absolute. This is not going to happen. I'm sorry. I held the line, and it was brutal. She went away to college. In the first semester, they were going through Ephesians, and they were talking about people that you're thankful for. And the professor said, I want you to write a letter to somebody that you're thankful for. I got one of the most precious letters I've ever gotten from her. I felt like our relationship was a little bit better when she went to co- off to college, but I was still kind of wanting more out of that relationship. She told me this. She's so thankful that I took that stand back then. She said, she, I realized that I wasn't a good daughter that time because I didn't like your decision. But I'm so glad that you made that decision and you stood by it because today I'm not a victim, I'm a victor. Touch my heart. But you know what? That's what God's all about. God wants us to be a victor and not a victim. I'm afraid there's too many people that have Jesus Christ in their heart, but they're still walking around kind of victimized. We're kind of feeling like the victim. And there's serious things out there. But God said, hey, I got this. I got this. I don't want your life to be defined about that horrible thing that happened years ago. I don't want your life to be defined about the things you're still struggling with. I want your life to be defined by me, he's saying. I want to be the center of your life. I want to sit on the throne of your life. I want you to walk around like a prince or a princess because you are. You're part of the royal family. You're special. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're unique. You're made in my image. I have this incredible life for you. I have a purpose, and it does not include being a victim. Easier said than done, I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters. But God is saying, I got something special for you. I got a new life. I want to talk for just a second here about how Noah ended up being that man that was chosen. Look at verse 20. Noah got off that ark, and then it says in verse 20, it said, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took you know, of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered a burnt offering to the altar. Noah stepped off that ark into the new world, and the first thing he did is he got on his knees and built an altar and worshipped God. Noah was a man of faith, but Noah also had a balanced faith. That's what I'm calling it this morning here, a balanced faith. You know, we can believe in something, but is my faith really balanced? James would say, if without works, it's dead. Do I really have a faith that's full? Am I living in the fullness of God's grace? God gave Noah life. He gave him new life. He could have been gone with everybody else that was killed. He saw what happened on the earth. Everybody else was gone, obliterated by God Almighty. 
That could have been me. You ever had one of those near-death experiences? Why am I still here? I've heard that over and over when people have those experiences. I, I, I guess God has a purpose for me. Absolutely. He had a purpose before that incident happened, but he has a purpose for you now too. He needed to have that incident in your life, so he got, it, he got it your attention. Genesis 6 tells us that Noah walked with the Lord. Genesis 6 also tells us that he served the Lord. He built that ark. 2 Peter 2.5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was a witness to his faith. Genesis 8 said he waited on the Lord. Genesis 8 also said he worshipped the Lord here. We just read it. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 5.17? I just read a minute ago. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I want you to know this morning that God has a new life for each one of us. Many of us understand that new life because we got saved and we gave our life to Jesus Christ and we realize the new life I have now, I'm different. I don't have the same nature I used to have. I no longer want to go in the same direction I used to go. I want to go God's direction. I'm excited about studying God's Word. I'm excited about worshiping God. I'm excited about having this relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm excited about having Christian brothers and sisters that understand this walk as well and to serve alongside them. Because we've been given a new life, we need to walk in the new ways. We don't need to carry that dead body behind us, okay? That man's dead and gone. He's all over. Many of us have been very concerned about these soccer players in Thailand that are three, deep, three miles deep into this well, into this cave. And the prospects for these young boys getting out and their coach not been good. And in fact, one of the Navy SEALs, a Thai Navy SEAL, died trying to get, get down there and get back out with him. It's just a very tenuous situation. These boys realized that unless somebody came from above to rescue them, they weren't getting out of there. They're talking about all kinds of months. I don't know if you heard this morning, but uh, there's a rescue operation on right now, and praise God, six of them are out already. They've already got six out of that cave. I've been moved by how many men, Navy SEALs from all the world, including some American ones, have volunteered to offer their life to go down and save those boys, to do whatever it takes. They say it's like a five-hour journey to get down to them, through the caves and through the water and through tight areas where they can't even get their tanks on back their back to get through. You've got to carry it through behind you and drag it through. How do they get these boys out of there? Just the incredible ends they need to go to to rescue these boys down there. But they're willing to do it, travel halfway around the world to get there, and then put themselves in harm's way beyond belief down that cave. Can you imagine if that was one of your boys down there? Can you imagine if that was one of your boys that was going down there to rescue him? Two-thirds of this world today is in a cave lost. Two-thirds of this world. It's almost two-thirds of America today, too, sad to say. Is lost. They have no future. None beyond this life. There's no eternity for them right now in heaven. We all live for eternity. We either go to heaven or we go to hell. But there's a lot of people around us. There may be somebody in this room this morning 
that I don't know with absolute certainty that I'm going to heaven someday. I want to go to heaven. I'm not sure how to get there. I don't know how to get there. The question for you and I, am I willing to be one of those Navy SEALs and put my life out there where I can help somebody else get saved? To do whatever it takes. As you know, the word witness means martyr in the Greek. It means I'm willing to do anything, including give my life, to make sure somebody else comes to know Jesus Christ. Am I willing to do that? Am I truly willing to do that? If I'm a Navy SEAL today and I want to do that, if I want to put my life out there and help, do I have the boldness to do that? Do I really have the boldness to speak about Jesus Christ in public? I want to give you this thought for a second this morning in conclusion. If tomorrow morning you woke up and you were given the cure for cancer, nothing could hold you back to get to the hospital quick enough probably and give that to doctors and make that known to people to help people with cancer. Why? Because you understand cancer. I think we've all been touched by it. Some we know somebody or family member or somebody's had it before or has it. We'd want to be helpful in helping people be cured from cancer. Well, you know what we have as followers of Jesus Christ? We have the cure for the malignancy of the soul. We have the ultimate cure. The greatest cure the world is ever, ever going to know, ever has known or ever will know. The cure for the cancer of the soul. Am I willing to share that cure with people around me? I've shared this with you before, but I believe the biggest problem in this nation today is there's not enough people pointing people to Jesus Christ. There's not enough people out there desiring to say, hey, I got answers for you. I can help you understand that there is hope in this world. I can, I can help you understand that there is peace in this world. I can help you understand that you can have life. You can have a brand new life. That God wants to take your life and do something very special with you and give you a sense of power in your life because of the Holy Spirit. Give you an essence of your life that you can see things that you've never seen before. You can appreciate the, way, the life the way God intended you to appreciate it. I want to tell you this morning that God's more interested in getting you to where he wants you to get to than you're interested in getting yourself to where you want to get to. God wants to take each one of us and do superordinary things. What is there possibly more superordinary in this whole world than helping somebody else realize their eternal destiny and come to receive that and know that? I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus died upon that cross that we might have this life. A new life. We have the cure. We have the good news. That's what the gospel is all about. It's good news. We have good news to share with our friends and with our neighbors. God has given us this incredible life. God's given us a brand new beginning. A second chance.